Welcome to episode 13 with Lisa Hamilton. Where meditation meets daily life, this is the Meditation Freedom Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Today we're going to be talking with Lisa Hamilton of the Conscious Runner website. And as Lisa puts it, it's all about meditation in motion. Lisa is a mother, master's runner, coach, strength and happiness junkie. For the runners in the audience, she's a one hour and 16 minute half marathoner and a two hour and 43 minute marathoner. I've never run a marathon, so I don't know what that means, but I I know one thing, that's got to be fast and pretty amazingly uh, good times for a marathon. She also competed in the 2003 and 2004 World Cross Country Championships in Switzerland and Belgium, and she almost qualified for the 2004 Athens Olympic Marathon. The way Conscious Runner differentiates itself is that it's not just focused on the body, but it's focused on the mind. And she talks about how the research, and really we can all verify this with our own experience, that we have tens of thousands of thoughts every day. And we'll talk about this in her interview. And if a lot of those thoughts are negative, this can really impact your run. And so that's why she calls what she's teaching meditation in motion. She further says, Conscious running is more than running. It's being able to run the roads, tracks, and trails feeling alive and connected throughout every pore in your body. It's feeling content and at peace with every stride. It's running in the moment and awakening to the experience. Instead of runs passing you by in a semi-conscious state, you are completely aware of what is going on inside and around you. Runs go by more quickly. Discomfort becomes more tolerable. Injury more avoidable and inexplicable peace pervades, to put it in her words. Lisa wasn't always the person she is today. She overcame obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD, survived a devastating hurricane, Hugo, and left a small island with nothing but two suitcases. And here's another quote about what she means by flow, being in the flow. When you are in flow, you look at something, you see it fully. The sky is more blue, the grass is more green, and flowers more sweet. It's more than seeing, it's experiencing it in a way that makes it difficult to tell where your energy ends and the energy of the rest of the world begins. Think of it this way. The more conscious you are, the more you're going to observe and the more multisensory your experience is going to be. It's like going from a black and white world to one of color. And then uh, finally, to show a little bit of her personality, Here's a quote that she uses as her dedication for her book. She says, This book is dedicated to all the runners who refuse to settle for the status quo, but choose to rise above it and let their freak flags fly high. With that, let's get into the interview with Lisa Hamilton of The Conscious Runner. Thank you so much, Lisa, for joining me on the podcast. Uh, I really, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Great. So I've read half of your book now, and you're going to be releasing your book pretty soon. And I figured that would be, there's a whole bunch of great questions in there that I can ask you. Uh, But what I do first with the people that I have on the show is to ask them what brought them to a practice of meditation. 
And uh, so I'd be curious to see how what happened with you. What got you started on on the meditation practice? Even though you know your practice is is different than most people would think of when they think of meditation. Yeah, I would have to say it would be trying to eliminate chaos in my life and also in my mind and connect to peace. So that's really it in a nutshell. And in the book, you mentioned a, a natural disaster, the, the Hurricane Hugo. And did that in any way change your view, your outlook or your, your attitude towards life? Did that transform you in any way? I would say that it did, you know, transform me, and I was traumatized by that experience for many years after, and even now I find myself occasionally shivering from thunder, rain, and lightning, so the effects of going through a traumatic event, you know, like that can really leave remnants on you for many years after. And for me, even though it happened over 20 years ago, it still has somewhat as an effect. Now, I wouldn't say that it necessarily transformed the way that I view things. I think that I've always known that there was more to life than fancy cars and big houses and lots of money. I didn't know how to articulate it at a young age, but there was just a knowing that it existed. And I would say that I have to credit that in part to my upbringing. I wasn't brought up in that, but it was somewhat of a uh, painful upbringing for me. And in, maybe in part to kind of escape that, that I had to believe that there was something more, you know, than the circumstances that I was living at the moment. Mm -hmm. And when you got interested in meditation, what, what specifically, what kind of problem were you trying to solve? You know, because you mentioned the chaos, and, uh, but, but at the time, was, it, was the problem you were trying to solve maybe different than the problem or than what you're trying to do with meditation uh, today? Right. So I didn't really approach it as trying to solve a specific problem in the sense that I want to work on forgiveness or I want to work on confidence or I want to work on my self-esteem. I wanted to, to solve the problem of chaos. I wanted to solve the problem of unhappiness because my belief was once I could get into the present moment or connect with source and have it course through me that all of those other things would just disappear. So it's going sort of for the root, you know, then dealing with the limbs and the branches and cutting those off. Right. So, yeah, because a lot of people, they may start with some of the branches and then they find that they're, they're really looking for something much deeper, like what you mentioned in the book, too, a kind of a false self that people may get identified with or they might look for, you know, some kind of external worldly gains or things like that. Yeah, I don't know that I look too much for the branches. And if at any point I did, I always knew that there was something that was even larger than that, that if I just addressed this, the rest of it would fall away. You know, you mentioned about I had to love myself and and imperfections and all and connect, being connected to life. Is Did that play a role in that too, to learning to connect with everything? You know, did the chaos disconnect you from being connected. Absolutely. 
absolutely disconnected me. And I think when I mentioned that, that those were some of the things that came out of watching the Oprah Winfrey show. And I've seen so many of her shows. I almost say that her voice is as familiar to me as my own mother's, that if they were both in the room, I would get confused as to which (laughs) one to call mom, because I've listened to her so many times. And this was actually back in the 90s when she would have Gary Zukov, which is one of my favorite spiritual teachers, on. And the world really wasn't ready, you know, for that at the time. And she was crucified for it. They didn't understand the concept of spirituality. And they thought that she was sort of perpetuating this sort of religion, you know, and they didn't get it. But I knew that there was some value there for me. And I was really committed to understanding, you know, what it is that he had to say. You know, it was the first time I had heard the word spirit and the first time I had heard the word soul. And the first time, um, but it was all resonated with me in such a way that it was familiar, even though I was hearing it, you know, for the first time. And I recorded um, every single one of those episodes on the VHS and played them over and over again. And each time I did, I would get more from it. So that's kind of where I go back to you were saying where I knew there was more to life than big cars and fancy houses and lots of money. But my problem was I didn't know how to get it. And when he started coming on her shows, he was lighting the path, you know, for me. I said, aha, finally a teacher that is resonating with me and I understand it and I just need to stick with this because this is the way that I'm going to get it, you know? Mm -hmm. And after his run, then that's when those sort of things became clear to me that I had to love myself, you know, imperfections and all, that I am a great soul, that every place is a holy place, that it doesn't have to be within the confines of a church, you know, it can be, you know, in a restroom, any place is a holy place. Right. So, and that's where that was born out of. And did the teachings that you watched on the, on the Oprah show, did that turn you towards a practice to try to bring that into your daily life? Okay. And now, as far as a practice, I would have to say that running is what I use as my meditation. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you bring that up because often when you think of meditation, you think of someone who is sitting in a room, you know, that is cross-legged and their eyes are closed and maybe there's some nice music playing in the background and the lights are dim. And that's always how I viewed it. And I thought, well, you know, am I really a person that is meditating, you know, or not? Because it doesn't look the way this sort of stereotypical practice looks. It looks a little bit different, Mm -hmm. you know, but really it's anything what I've come to learn is that meditation is really anything that you can use that brings you into the present present moment. Right. You know, so even the meditation itself is a technique or a tool that is used to bring you there because you can have many people sitting cross-legged, you know, that are not in a meditative state. You know, they just happen to look like they are, you know, whereas you can have someone who is running who is meditating. Right, right. So running is my form of meditation, my practice. And did you just discover that somehow? Or how did that come to be? I discovered it. It's like I just knew it. Were there any books or any any people talking about the, you know how you can meditate through running? Because I know I started with Tai Chi uh, Chuan, which is meditation in motion as well, before I started getting into sitting meditation. I saw it and I thought, wow, that's whatever that is that that graceful movement that's something i want to do too that's what i want to practice because i see there's a certain peace that comes from that that was my form of being able to connect with source and to get into the present moment and to uh experience 
my mind, if you will, and my my body uh, the way that I wanted to. So mine is more directed inwardly, you know, from the kind of feeling that I want to have. And those are the tools that help me to achieve that feeling, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you didn't have like a, a teacher or somebody that kind of showed you you know, here's how you can get out of your own way if, when you're running. Because you talk a lot about how people, your whole book starts with, let's look at yourself first before you even get into running. Because when you're running and, you, and your mind is a big chaos, you can't really get into the zone, right? Right. I mean, absolutely. Anytime our minds are in the way, then it prevents us from getting into the present moment. You know, whether we're focused on the past or the future, you know, mm -hmm. then we're just not in... We're not in the now. Um, I did go to a class on meditation fairly recently at my Y, and I found that the sitting meditation, at least in that class, did not work for me at the time. And that may have had to do with either other things that were going on in my life. It um, Maybe it's something that I needed to try, you know, more times, but the one time that I went, it didn't resonate with me in the same way as other forms of meditation do, like running. And also, the, I will say that the sitting meditation actually works for me when I do it in a sauna. And I'm actually thinking that the heat has something to do with it, because the heat helps me to uh, get rid of my thoughts and my, you know, in my head. So uh, that is the sitting meditation that I would say that works best for me is if there is some sort of heat that, you know, that's involved. Mm -hmm. Anytime we have thoughts, you know, the thoughts carry energy and negative thoughts are heavy and positive thoughts actually uplift us. You know, so if you're carrying a lot of negative thoughts, then actually it can affect, affect your body to the point where your legs stop. And I have been in that state, you know, where there's so many things running through my head and then it conjures up all of this emotion. And the next thing you know, uh, my legs feel like lead and I cannot move, you know, but changing all of that is literally only a thought away, you know, either reframing it to focus on what right and uh, you know what is positive mm -hmm. and then the energy can be restored and I will tell you interestingly there was one time where I was running and it was a very tough workout and let's say it was in intervals I had six of them we'll say and I did like three out and I started to come back I turned around and the wind hit me so hard it was almost like I was not moving, you know, just mother nature was at me full force. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at my watch and I really wanted to get this split, but I could barely move my legs because of the wind. So I started to think in my mind, I cannot do this. I mean, the wind is too hard. About a minute and 55 seconds went by and I just stopped. I said, this is ridiculous. I stopped. I went over to this sort of abandoned building and I just started stretching. And I said to myself, Lisa, you've got to get your mind right. You've got to get your mind right. So I spent maybe 20, 30 seconds there. And then I got back on the trail and started the watch and continued my run. And it actually ended up being my fastest repetition out of the six. And uh -huh. it was into the wind. And it, all I changed was my mindset. That's amazing how powerful our thoughts are.
Right. So, I mean, it's the difference between whether I go out for a run or not, you know, how well the run goes. Uh, I mean, it's it's everything. It, you know, it begins with the mind. Right. And then you also, you say that, that it isn't just your thoughts, but then the underlying beliefs that affect your thoughts as well. So you need to work with your beliefs as well. Maybe you can expand a little bit on that. Yeah, I think that there are different layers, and it's what our beliefs, thoughts, I always liken them to like particles, that they're just in the air. And I don't think that we can always control what pops into our head, you know, but we can control what stays there. And part of what does stay there is what resonates with the beliefs that we have underneath of it. You know, so you've got all of these thoughts that are kind of floating in the air. And it's like we're picking the ones that resonate with the beliefs that we have and we're letting go of the ones that don't. So it's you if you have positive beliefs about yourself, then the chances are you're going to pick the positive thoughts that are already in this this mass of thought cloud, you know, whereas if you have negative beliefs, then there may be the temptation to pick those, you know, that resonate with the negative beliefs that you might have about yourself. So again, with pulling something out from the root is that it's not just about going after the thought, if you go after the belief, then everything else will disappear, you don't have to work on fighting thoughts, you know, just go after the the belief. I mean, once you think that you're worthy and that you're lovable, you don't need to work on confidence, self-esteem, or any of those periphery things because they just happen. You just get the get to the belief. What would you say to someone who struggles with, with those self-limiting beliefs that you see in your particular area of, of running? Yeah, I would have to say that you really have to address the beliefs and, you know, do the inner work to to either change the beliefs, replace the beliefs with more positive ones, to stay into the present moment is, is certainly another thing that you can do. And that also allows those beliefs to transform, you know, because of course, when you're in the present moment, there is no past, you know, Mm -hmm. and there is no future, there just is, you know, and the beliefs are part of what we bring from our past. Right. The other thing I was going to ask you too, is about how, how do you define success? Oftentimes with with athletes, and I guess with anybody in life, uh, they may have a, a limited idea of what success is. And if you get too attached to that, then let's say if there's an accident and you can't run anymore, then you are, uh, you're going to be into some suffering because you, you might have identified success as only, you know, with your body or uh, a limited identification with it. Uh, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I think that a lot of times we think success should look a certain way. You know, and it may be dictated from our parents, teachers, peers, you know, society, you know, lots of influences kind of dictate how we define, you know, success. And, you know, I suggest, you know, looking at it, it is even a more broader definition is, you know, success is defined by how content you are, or how peaceful you feel, or how whole you are, Mm -hmm. and not necessarily by what time you're running or how fast or how long it was, although those are successes as well, but let's not miss all of the other successes, you know, in addition to those. Right. So in, in a way you're talking about how to apply what you what you're learning through your your sport 
of running into daily life because the, the sport may not always be there, right? And it won't be. And it won't be for everyone. Right. You know, even, even if death ends it, <laughs> it, it won't be. Mm-hmm. Right. It will transform. You know, and you do find that a lot with athletes is that they become or they lose themselves, you know, in the sport. And then when the sport is taken away, they don't know who they are. You know, anytime that we're identified with a role, you know, so it isn't just athletes. You find that with, uh, you know, even businessmen and businesswomen that they become so identified with their job. You know, mm-hmm. they, bec- they get fired. They don't know what to do. They jump off a building, you know, think there's nothing left in their life to live for, you know, right. or you find that with a mother you know, who's identified with being a mother and then the children leave. They don't know who they are, you know, without the children. So it's really anything that you become identified, you know, with. Right. And you talk at some point, and I don't know whether that was an experience for you, at some point you became connected to something much larger than um, the limits of your skin, you know, the boundaries of your skin. Could you maybe give an example of how you started realizing that you're much larger than just your, your body or your, or your, your work or what you do or. Yeah. I, I, on some level I've always known on, on some level I, I have always known. And when things become, you know, hard for me, then that's what I remind myself of, you know, then that is the place that I go to, you know, that I am more than this body. I'm more than this personality Right, so it's not just an intellectual understanding of being interconnected with everything, but there's also a, a physical experience of being connected, right? Absolutely. I mean, I know it. I, I know it. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not like repeating uh, something that I've heard. I'm telling you what my experience has been. Right. This is what I know for sure. And, th- and that changes your whole way of seeing the world, too, right? And how you personalize things and, and what stories you have about yourself, too, right? It, it does. It, uh, it, it does. If you can live in that space, or I'll say if I can live in that space, you know, and I'm here, you know, also with a, you know, personality and stuff, if you will, that I uh, need to work through, I mean, is really the best way to put it. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to have been in that space, you know, multiple times. And it does change everything because you don't take things personally. Um, there's a tremendous amount of love, compassion, passion, absolutely no fear of death. So I'm describing to you what this feels like for me, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm in that space, when I'm fully conscious and fully awake and fully living in the present moment. I, too, am a work in progress, and there are things that happen that take me out of that. And when I am out of that, I don't feel that way, and I do take things personally and I do allow my life to become chaotic and stressful. And what do you do then at, at that point when you feel that contraction coming? Well, when it's, when it's there, then I know that I have the decision. It's what am I going to do? Because I know that there is something different because I've experienced it. So at that point, it's okay. So what are you going to do with it, Lisa? You know, are you going to sit here and wallow in the craziness? Or are you going to go meditate, you know, and 
do whatever it is you need to do. Either focus on gratitude, write, write, do some journaling to get you back there. And and that's choice is mine. Is what am I going to do? How with this? Mm-hmm. Right. Which world do I want to be in? Right. So it's very conscious decision making. It is conscious because I'm aware of both, and mm-hmm. I don't know if everybody is. Uh, you know, aware of both or has I've experienced both, you know, so, you know, for me, it's what do you choose, you know, which wolf are you going to feed, you know, the one of happiness, joy and contentment and peace or the one of greed and anger and frustration. And for me, it sometimes can be a conscious choice. And sometimes I say, you know what, I think I want a little bit more dysfunction today. My life isn't as bad enough as I want it. So I'm not going to work on myself and do what I know I need to do, you know, in order to get to a more elevated state. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then the, the, you reap the the consequences of that the next day in the form of maybe a even worse headache or. I, I, I'm reaping it as I'm sitting there trying to decide because it's, it's, it's no fun. You know, it's suffering. Mm hmm. Not everyone understands the concept of flow. Maybe you can explain that from your articulated, your own unique viewpoint. I look at flow as being in the zone or being present or connected to source. I use all of those words interchangeably, you know, if you will, you know, to me, they're just different ways of saying the same thing. It's mm-hmm. like saying God or the universe, you know, or energy. It all goes back to uh, the same place. Mm-hmm. Is that similar to what you also mentioned as the superconscious mind? Because you also talk about subconscious mind and conscious mind and then superconscious mind. Yes, the same thing. So the superconscious mind, you know, would be the flow and being in the zone and being fully present. Whereas conscious, you can still be conscious, but not aware of really everything that is going on in and around you. And I think the example I use is that, you know, you can be running by this particular tree and never notice the bark on it. So you're conscious because you're running, you know, but you're so caught up in your mind that you don't notice anything along the way. You're just distracted by past and future, you know, got to get to work, got to hurry up and get to work, got to go take care of the kids, you know, what do I need for, you know, lunch, got to do laundry, I mean, whatever it is, this person is irritating me, you know, that by the time your run is done, you don't even know what happened along the way. Right, yeah, and you mentioned that, you call that the the inner dweller, right, the the, the 80, 50 to 80,000 thoughts a day that that create kind of a, a veil of uh, between you and and reality and the the present moment and being able to fully experience that bark on the tree or the rain right. on your on your face right i mean it is really the difference like i mentioned is li- between living in a black and white world and living in color you know it's just really amazing when you can be in the present moment how the world comes alive you know and just how much connection there is and how much just love and compassion and and reverence you know and awe and magic and beauty in absolutely everything i mean you stop looking at people as just people it's almost like you can see through them you know it's like you can see the souls of who they are and relate to that it's uh, really amazing mhm yeah, I think Carl Graf from Durkheim called that trans transparent to transcendence. You know, you're seeing you're seeing through the veil, the veil too, the 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 personas, and you're seeing something. You know, the beauty inside of everything that's coming through. Yeah, for sure, for sure. If a runner feels 
like they have to run in order to get that peak zone or that flow, and then they don't feel it when they're not running, what would you what advice would you have for someone who's who's seeking a particular state and then you know they're disappointed maybe when they don't have the state uh when when they can't run or they can't climb a mountain or you know because you see that also with mountain climbers they're seeking this kind of peak experience but then you know the hard part is when they're not on the mountain so what advice would you have for that for them right so that um goes back to like the book is divided really into two parts, right? So the first part, I put it as the foundation, and it talks about all of the things that are sort of elements of being in flow or being in the zone or being a conscious runner. And then the second part actually talks about the practice where we actually get into the technique, the meditative technique. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have that part of the book yet, you know, um, in order to to run, Uh, you know, with that, and it goes through a sequence of things like, you know, taking deep breaths and visualization and scanning the body and then transitioning into running by starting slowly and doing dynamic stretching and setting your intention. Like it's it's this whole program that's pretty much outlined in the second half of the book to do that. That is really the uh, sort of quick way to do it, you know, if you will. Um, The way that you make it lasting is by doing the first part of the book, you know, so that it becomes part of your life, you know, so that by the time you show up to the run, you don't need to do those things. You mm-hmm. know, you're already in that state. <laughs> you know, it, it's really optimal, you know. So, um, you know, someone who wants to get there, these are all pointers as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so the only way to truly be in that state is to experience it. And, uh, you know, that makes me one of the things about you know, you don't want your book or anything that you do to be something that um, – it's not to be relied on forever. You know, there, you can't get there without experiencing it, if that makes sense, that everything outlined in the book is sort of a pointer. Or if you have a path, it's a light along the way, you know, and it should be seen as such. But ultimately, you have to experience it. You know, like the book can only lead you so far. You know, and then the rest is on you, is what I'm trying to say. Right. <laughs> it can only take you right up to the gate, but then you have to you have to open it. You know, so if someone is not experiencing it, you know, then it's to go back and to figure out, you know, what is what is going on, you know, what needs to, you know, be addressed or why why aren't they able to kind of get get into that level. Mm-hmm. I can only say from my own personal experience that I would rather live in presence, presence and bliss, you know, um, for the most part, you know, even though sometimes even my actions might show other, otherwise, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons even why we create chaos in our life, you know, and that even goes into, you know, to deeper levels as well is that sometimes and I think I even mentioned that in the book is that even though chaos and drama are not very comfortable and we say that we want presence and bliss and joy and happiness in a weird way sometimes we actually don't it's because the familiar is actually comfortable even though it is not good you know so I can liken it even to um, and I don't know if this is really a a, a dramatic example of it but uh I mean, just, I mean, really just, just that sometimes familiar is, is better than the unknown, even though familiar is not good. And that's actually, those are things that I mentioned actually in the second half of the book is on why people don't change, you know, and, and that has to go back to that is why we don't change. Why is it that we say we want these things, but yet, and then when we know what we need to do to have them, we don't do them. You know, why do we sabotage ourselves? I'm on one hand saying, I want presence and peace, yet 
I'm sitting here telling you that sometimes I make a conscious choice not to have it. Well, why do I do that? Well, because feeling like crap feels familiar. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's right. It does feel familiar. And there is some comfort in the familiar, even though it doesn't feel good. Right, right. And feeling alive can be scary. And it's really exciting compared to the familiarity that you're talking about, the comfort zone and all of that. Right. And you can create a new familiar, you know, with being in presence and stuff. So it's then it becomes asking yourself, you know, well, what are you afraid of? Why am I afraid to leave this familiar, uncomfortable sensation? Well, maybe it's because it was from my upbringing and in some way it ties me back to that. You know, maybe it ties me to my family, you know, in some way. Maybe I'm afraid if I leave it, I'll lose my friends, you know. So um, there's a lot of uh, kind of layers to it as to why people uh, don't change. So I would say that someone who is not experiencing that, you know, may have to kind of look at those things if they're not able to kind of just leave the past. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes it's just baby steps, um, you know, doing one little, you know, dipping a toe into it and then, you know, maybe two toes uh, the next time. For sure. For the people listening, do you have a website to share? And, you know, of course, the name of your book, and anything else you want to share with the audience? The name of the website is ConsciousRunner.com. And the book actually is going to be coming out on March 28th. I don't have an official title for it yet, but I will be sure to... Well, actually, Sika, I could probably... I'm not sure when you're planning on releasing this. Um, but um, maybe I'll have a title by then, you know, Great. and you, you can kind of mention it in the show, <laughs> show notes, to be honest. I put like three working titles on there, you know, and some subtitles. It's like, I don't know, you know, yet. But uh, yeah, so I'll say, so the book is coming out on March 28th and the site is theconsciousrunner.com. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us and uh, with the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Lisa Hamilton of The Conscious Runner. You can find the episode show notes on meditationfreedom.com slash 13. And you can there find her new book, which I think she's going to call How to Quiet Your Thoughts and Fully Experience Your Run, a training program for mind, body, and soul. And I'll be sure to link to that book as soon as she's got it available, which will be within the next week or so somewhere towards the end of March 2015. So by the time many of you will listen to this, it should be ready to go. If you have any questions for her, just put them on the show notes. Again, meditationfreedom.com slash 13. I'll make sure that she uh, comes to the website and answers them if you have any questions. And she also has a Facebook group, so you can join that as well and interact with her and other conscious runners. And if you're interested in supporting this podcast, there are a couple of easy ways, actually no-cost ways to support this podcast. And one of them is to simply leave a one or two sentence review on iTunes or Stitcher if you don't use iTunes. And if you have any friends who meditate or want to learn more about meditation, of course, or mindfulness, then please let your friends know about this podcast. Another free way of doing it is to simply... Click on one of the books that I was mentioned in the show. If you want to buy, purchase one of those books, you just use the link on the show notes because that way Amazon knows that Meditation Freedom Podcast 
referred that book and then I get a couple of cents or you know maybe a couple of dollars especially if you buy some more stuff after that through Amazon again that would be credited towards the Meditation Freedom Podcast so that would anything helps basically any kind of support is very helpful and very much appreciated so and then finally I'm going to be trying out because I don't want to dilute this podcast with advertisements or anything like that at the most a sponsorship by a company that's relevant to what you you know what be what would be valuable to you as the listener but I'm going to try to avoid that and I'm going to experiment with a company called Patreon and that basically allows you to support this podcast simply by going to Patreon and saying you know you want to uh, provide a dollar or whatever per episode or per month or Uh, whatever is comfortable within your budget and uh, that way you support the podcast and that would be uh, super appreciated and I'll make sure that you can find that link by going to meditationfreedom.com and then just find the support button it'll take you directly to that patreon website that allows you to make a, a easy donation through paypal or any other form of payment that works for you thanks so much and I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us on the Meditation Freedom Podcast, where meditation meets daily life. Mm-hmm.